0: Welcome to Quills and Cloaks, a writing and fandom podcast delving into the world of fandom discussions, author writing tips, and of course, all things Harry Potter. I'm Christy J. Whitney, and I will be your host and your professor. So unroll those parchments because class is in session. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of Quills and Cloaks. And I am so excited to have made it to Well, for me, a milestone in the area of podcasting. So for those of you who have been around since the beginning, thank you so much for your support. And for those of you that are new, thank you for joining in as I'm navigating my way through content, taking your suggestions, and you guys have some amazing suggestions and comments for things that you would like me to talk about in the podcast. So I greatly appreciate that. So without further ado, I want to get into part two of my favorite Severus Snape moments from the book series. As we know, and we talked about last week, the Snape that is presented in the books is a little bit different from the Snape that is presented in the film. A lot of that has to do with reduced time on screen, so having to condense a lot of things down, and understandably so, but there are so many key scenes and key moments with Snape from the books that never make it into the films that I think really give us a little bit more layering into his character. And of course, we cannot deny that Alan Rickman's portrayal of Snape is fantastic. And, you know, I have nothing bad to say about his performance, but also gives us a somewhat different view of Snape from time to time, especially, I think, in the book Prisoner of Azkaban. So I want to take a moment and read a few more of my top moments, I guess I should say, from the book uh, and the chapters. The first one I have for you today is a very short scene that happens in chapter eight, where Lupin and Harry are talking about the Dementor and the Boggart and Fear, and and this is a scene that does not happen in the film, but Snape actually knocks on Lupin's door and interrupts him. So I want to read from chapter eight. Harry didn't know what to say to that, so he drank some more tea. So you've been thinking that I didn't believe you capable of fighting the Bogart," said Lupin shrewdly. Well, yeah, said Harry. He was suddenly feeling a lot happier. Professor Lupin "'You know the Dementors!' "'He was interrupted by a knock on the door. "'Come in,' said Lupin. "'The door opened, and in came Snape. "'He was carrying a goblet, which was smoking faintly, "'and stopped at the sight of Harry, his black eyes narrowing. "'Ah, Severus!' said Lupin, smiling. "'Thanks very much. "'Could you leave it here on the desk for me?' "'Snape set down the smoking goblet,' his eyes wandering between Harry and Lupin. I was just showing Harry my Grindelow, said Lupin pleasantly, pointing at the tank. Fascinating, said Snape without looking at it. You should drink that directly, Lupin. Oh, yes, yes, I will, said Lupin. I made an entire cauldron full, Snape continued, if you need more. I should... Probably take some again tomorrow. Thanks very much, Severus. Not at all, said Snape, but there was a look in his eye Harry didn't like. He backed out of the room, unsmiling and watchful. Harry looked curiously at the goblet. Lupin smiled. Professor Snape has very kindly concocted a potion for me, he said. I've never been much of a potion brewer, and this one is particularly complex. He picked up the goblet and sniffed it. Pity, sugar makes it useless, he added, taking a sip and shuddering. But why? Harry began. Lupin looked at him and answered the unfinished question. I've been feeling a bit off-color, he said. This potion is the only thing that helps. I am very lucky to be working alongside Professor Snape. There aren't many wizards who are up to making it. Professor Lupin took another sip, and Harry had a crazy urge to knock the goblet out of his hands. "'Professor Snape's very interested in the dark arts,' he blurted out. "'Really?' said Lupin, looking only mildly interested as he took another gulp of potion. "'Some people reckon,' Harry hesitated, and then plunged recklessly on. "'Some people reckon he'd do anything to get the defense against the dark arts job.' Lupin drained the goblet and pulled a face." Ugh, disgusting, he said. Well, Harry, I'd better get back to work. I'll see you at the feast later. Right, said Harry, putting down his empty teacup. The empty goblet was still smoking. Now, this is a fun moment for me, because we actually get to see Snape come in with the goblet, of what we know is the Wolfsbane potion that he has been brewing, that it's particularly complex and that Severus was the only one up to actually making it. We also know he had sort of a twofold reason. Obviously, Dumbledore had ordered him to make the potion, but also... Based on his experience with Lupin and werewolves and nearly being killed, of course he's going to want to brew this potion for Lupin because it's not only his safety, but also the safety of everyone, including Harry Potter, at the school. But we can feel the sort of tension between the two of them in this scene, and it's just so much fun to imagine how this would have went down in the film version. For book scene number two, I am taking this from chapter nine, the famous scene that includes page 394, but as it was portrayed in the book. Sorry I'm late, Professor Lupin. I... But it wasn't Professor Lupin who looked up at him from the teacher's desk. It was Snape. The lesson began ten minutes ago, Potter, so I think we'll make it ten points from Gryffindor. Sit down. But Harry didn't move. Where's Professor Lupin? he said. He says he is feeling too ill to teach today, said Snape with a twisted smile. I believe I told you to sit down, but Harry stayed where he was. What's wrong with him? Snape's black eyes glittered. Nothing life-threatening, he said, looking as though he wished it were. Five more points from Gryffindor, and if I have to ask you to sit down again, it will be fifty. Harry walked slowly to his seat and sat down. Snape looked around at the class. "'As I was saying before Potter interrupted, "'Professor Lupin has not left any record of the topics you have covered so far. "'Please, sir, we've done boggarts, redcaps, cappas, and Grindelows," "'said Hermione quickly, and we're just about to start. "'Be quiet,' said Snape coldly. "'I did not ask for information.' I was merely commenting on Professor Lupin's lack of organization. "'He's the best defense against a dark arts teacher we've ever had,' said Dean Thomas boldly, and there was a murmur of agreement from the rest of the class. Snape looked more menacing than ever. "'You are easily satisfied. Lupin is hardly overtaxing you. "'I would expect first years to be able to deal with redcaps and Grindelows. "'Today we shall discuss.' Harry watched him flick through the textbook to the very back chapter, which he must know they hadn't covered. Werewolves, said Snape. But, sir, said Hermione, seemingly unable to restrain herself, we're not supposed to do werewolves yet. We're due to start hinky-punks, Miss Granger, said Snape, in a voice of deadly calm. I was under the impression that I am teaching this lesson, not you, and I am telling you all to turn to page 394. He glanced around again. All of you, now. With many bitter sidelong looks and some sullen muttering, the class opened their books. Which of you can tell me how we distinguish between the werewolf and the true wolf? said Snape. Everyone sat motionless silent. Everyone except Hermione whose hand, as it so often did, had shot straight into the air. Anyone, Snape said, ignoring Hermione. His twisted smile was back. Are you telling me that Professor Lupin hasn't even taught you the basic distinction between... We told you, said Pavardi suddenly. We haven't got as far as werewolves yet. We're still on silence, snarled Snape. Well... "'I never thought I'd meet a third-year class "'who wouldn't even recognize a werewolf when they saw one. "'I shall make a point of informing Professor Dumbledore "'how very behind you all are.' "'Please, sir,' said Hermione, whose hand was still in the air. "'The werewolf differs from the true wolf in several small ways. "'The snout of the werewolf... "'That is the second time you've spoken out of turn, Miss Granger,' "'said Snape coolly. Five more points from Gryffindor for being an insufferable know-it-all. Hermione went very red, put down her hand, and stared at the floor with eyes full of tears. It was a mark of how much the class loathed Snape that they were all glaring at him, because every one of them had called Hermione a know-it-all at least once, and Ron, who told Hermione she was a know-it-all at least twice a week, said loudly, You asked us a question and she knows the answer. Why ask if you don't want to be told? class knew instantly he had gone too far. Snape advanced on Ron slowly, and the room held its breath. "'Detention, Weasley,' Snape said silkily, his face very close to Ron's. "'And if I ever hear you criticize the way I teach a class again, you will be very sorry indeed.'" Now, this is more of just fun Snape stuff here. And while I am not arguing on the fact that he is a pretty nasty teacher and very sarcastic, as a teacher, I do point out that he did ask Harry to sit down twice, and Harry did not obey, in fact, continued to demand answers of him. I don't blame Snape for taking a few points away from Gryffindor for that one, nor do I blame him for really talking about how little Lupin had covered with them in Defense Against the Dark Arts. Now, we're not denying that Lupin was the best defense teacher that they had, apart from Snape. But it is very true that, according to the curriculum, those type of things that he had been teaching them were really first-year kind of material, and Snape felt that they needed to be further along. Now, of course, we know now what we didn't really know then, which is Snape was very aware of how close they were to Voldemort returning, to a new war on their hands, to all of these students who were sadly unequipped to deal with the evil that was on the way. Lupin, I think he knew that too. And of course, he will always be credited with helping to teach Harry how to do the Patronus spell, which of course is very much needed. But in this instant, you know, Snape really feels like these kids are sadly behind and they've been learning all this first year stuff when really they need to be dealing with more serious creatures. Of course, werewolves, we know why uh, the werewolf thing is so serious to Snape, but also other things. So, You know, he's already a little irritated, more than a little irritated, that Lupin is teaching this class that he feels that he could do much better. But on top of that, feeling as though that they are behind, that does not help his mood at all. And also, we know that he is trying, in a very subtle way, to inform them about the werewolf without being able to say anything. Because remember, Dumbledore forbid him from saying anything about Lupin or the werewolf thing, so he could not directly say Uh, The other thing that, of course, a lot of people point out how nasty he was to Hermione. And, you know, it's an interesting thing to point out. She is very smart. She's extremely gifted. However, when she raises her hand all the time from first year on to answer all the questions, we all have to admit a lot of that is an ego thing. She is a Gryffindor. After all, Gryffindors are known to have a lot of confidence in themselves, which can sometimes manifest as arrogance. And I believe Hermione really does show that arrogance because she places all her confidence in her knowledge and she wants to share her knowledge, not always to be helpful, but sometimes just to be the smartest one in the room. That's why a lot of people argue that she could be a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaws love to be the smartest one in the room. And she does sort of fill in the blank for Snape. She answers a question he didn't pose. Um, She is constantly trying to answer every question and that irritates him. He doesn't want to call on her. That, That overdone exuberance is really not what he sees as the mark of a true student that's learning, but rather They want to express everything they know to show everyone in the room everything they know. And we know that this is true about Hermione because of what it says in the books, which I love this part. You know, Snape calls her an inseparable know-it-all. However, the books say that Every single student in that class had called her the exact same thing at least once, and Ron called her a know-it-all or an insufferable know-it-all or some version of that at least once or twice a week. So the fact that he says the insufferable know-it-all is basically no different than what everybody else says about Hermione all the time. So we know that this is not just a moment where she's going up against Snape, but this is how she is all the time, and I can see how this type of student would be quite annoying to a personality like Snape. Uh, Snape never flaunted his knowledge; he was extremely brilliant, but he never flaunted it. He was never outward in how much he knew about things, and I think a true Slytherin likes to sort of keep that to themselves. And so, I can see why this this very outward show of "Here's what I know," "Here's what I know," um would just kind of set him off. And so he certainly gives it to her pretty good in this class, but not totally undeserved, although we know he could have handled it in a more professional manner, but Snape wasn't known for being very professional. Uh, After all, he did not go to university to study childhood education. He was there for many, many other reasons at Hogwarts, but it's a great scene. And the last moment I would like to read comes from almost at the end of the book, chapter 21. Again, another scene that does not occur in the movie. Actually, you know, after the werewolf scene, we really don't see much of Snape at all in the film. And I always hate that because he does get some good uh, scenes in these last three chapters of Prisoner of Azkaban. So this is in the hospital wing while Harry is still unconscious, and Snape is giving his version of events to Cornelius Fudge, the minister of magic. And he says, uh, well, the minister is talking and says, Order of Merlin, second class, I'd say. First class, if I can wangle it. Thank you very much indeed, minister. Nasty cut you've got there. Black's work, I suppose. As a matter of fact, it was Potter, Weasley, and Granger, minister. No! Black had bewitched them. I saw it immediately. A confundus charm to judge by their behaviour. They seemed to think there was a possibility he was innocent. They weren't responsible for their actions. On the other hand, their interference might have permitted Black to escape. They obviously thought they were going to catch Black single-handed. They've got away with a great deal before now. I'm afraid it's given them a rather high opinion of themselves. And, of course, Potter has always been allowed an extraordinary amount of license by the headmaster. (laughs) Ah, well, Snape, (laughs) Harry Potter, you know, we've all got a bit of a blind spot where he's concerned. And yet, is it good for him to be given so much special treatment? Personally, I try and treat him like any other student, and any other student would be suspended at the very least, for leading his friends into such danger. Consider, Minister, against all school rules, after all precautions put in place for his protection, out of bounds, at night, consulting with a werewolf and a murderer, and I have reason to believe he has been visiting Hogsmeade illegally too. Oh, well, well, we shall see, Snape, we shall see. The boy has undoubtedly been foolish.' Now, this is another quick scene where we get to understand a little bit of where Snape is actually coming from. A lot of people kind of forget this in the film version, but Snape honestly and truly believes that Black is a murderer and he is after Harry Potter. In fact, he's not the only one. If you recall, all of the school, Dumbledore, the ministry, everyone thinks Black is a murderer. That's why the Dementors are at the school to catch him. So it's not as though Snape were unfairly accusing Black. Remember that when the truth comes out about Sirius Black and about Peter Pettigrew, Snape is unconscious during that moment. He he hears none of that. So if you put yourself in Snape's shoes and walk through that scene, one, he's trying to save Harry's life. Harry has broken the rules yet again, tried to go after a dangerous murderer, bunch of 13-year-old wizards, confronts Sirius Black and Lupin, who, of course, uh, Snape believes are in league together. And that is means for absolute concern on Snape's part. He, at the end here, doesn't blame Harry, Ron, and Hermione, basically for sending him headfirst into a wall by disarming him. And that's another thing that was different in the film. It was only Harry who sent that spell, and I I don't believe Harry would have had the power to do that to Snape alone. In the book, it was all three of them sending a spell at the same time to Snape, who was completely not expecting that to happen, so he wasn't prepared for it, but he doesn't blame them for that, and he says, in fact, that it looked to him as though Black had used the Confundus charm on them and they were under his power and control. However, then Snape goes on to say, you know, a lot of people at this school have been treating Harry with this kind of special shield around him. He gets to do whatever he wants. He gets to break rules all the time and he gets away with everything. And I know that has to irk Snape a lot because it reminds him so much of James Potter. But we also know now that Snape was in charge of protecting Harry. So in that vein, I can understand why this would anger him so greatly that even Dumbledore and some of these others would just allow Harry to have such free reign when there was so much that could have happened to Harry in these first three years of school. So he says at some point, Harry and his buddies need to be held responsible for their actions. Suspension? whether right or wrong, is what Snape suggests. And he says, I try to treat Harry like any other student. That was completely important to Snape from day one when he pointed out, oh, the new celebrity, Harry Potter, and he determined from the beginning he was not going to treat Harry any differently. Because from Snape's viewpoint, what good is that going to do Harry to teach him how to defend himself, to teach him how to grow up and be the person he needs to be if he just leans on his fame all the time or leans on so many other people who kind of bend over backwards and and give him all these special privileges. Snape doesn't see that as something that is going to help Harry in his growing up process. So I've always said this, that it's, it's sort of Snape's version of tough love based on his own growing up. And while that may not always be the most positive thing or the most healthy thing, if you're trying to look at things through Snape's eyes and why he treats Harry the way he does and why he makes the decisions that he does, if you kind of look through his eyes, it seems to make a lot more sense than just saying, well, he was mean, he was a bully, and he hated Harry's dad, and just leave it at that. That's, that's, pretty shallow and we know that Snape is a lot deeper than that. And of course, he's as I said in the episode last week, this whole deal with the werewolf, the the idea that he's never been able to express his concerns. He's never been able to say anything about Lupin and and his concern with him being a werewolf and the danger that he feels Lupin does pose to the school, especially when he, of course, did not take his potion. Uh, you know, this is, this is frustrating to Snape. And a little bit later in the scene, interestingly enough, he's talking a bit to Dumbledore and he says, do you honestly, are you honestly going to believe Black's story? And again, this is a moment that I totally get from Snape because once again, it's like he's reliving those moments when he was a student and here, these marauders could do basically whatever they wanted. They had free reign of the school. They played a joke on Snape that almost got him killed. They go to the headmaster's office, and it's it's the same kind of thing. Dumbledore very obviously and very kind of blatantly sides with the marauders, believes them, doesn't let Snape talk about what happened. And while... Snape could have gotten past that and moved on. We know that he didn't. He had his own issues with that. It's like he's rehashing this as a grown-up in this moment with Dumbledore. After all this stuff with the Marauders, after everything with Sirius Black, you're still going to take his side. And of course, we know that Snape, or that um, that Sirius Black is innocent. Uh, he is an innocent man, and Dumbledore was right to take his side here. But Snape didn't know that leading up to this point, and he doesn't. He he doesn't want to believe Black, and that is a weakness on Snape's part. It it requires that he would have to put a lot of things aside to get past that. So of course, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have done that, because it would have been uh, good and in his best interest. But he's he's coming from a long place of not being believed, of being sort of shoved off to the side, and despite being, you know, this person who does all their work and does everything that they're supposed to do and learn everything, he watches these others sort of survive by a combination of skill, luck, charm, and being Gryffindors, and this just sort of adds to his bitterness. So again, these are not all of my favorite bits from Prisoner of Azkaban, but just a few more, and I love any time that I see the word Snape on the page in the book, I just get very excited because I'm always wondering, what new little tidbit are we going to learn from this character? He's fascinating, he's complex, he's deep, he's got a lot of issues, and While he gets a reputation of being a lot of these negative things, it's always really thrilling to me to sort of put the pieces together as though it's a giant jigsaw puzzle and put together the pieces of his psyche and where he's coming from. And it's not all him. He's not imagining that people are against him. He's not imagining um, these things that have happened to him in the past. They really, truly did. And it is also very interesting to me that no one really ever apologizes for that. Not that I'm expecting them to apologize to Snape, but we know Lupin feels remorse for some of the things that he did. We know Dumbledore does have a brief scene with Snape talking about sometimes he thinks the hat sorts too early. Would he have changed any of of his tactics or the way that he dealt with Snape? We don't know, but that's what I love about the Harry Potter series is that most of these characters are gray in a lot of areas. They make mistakes. They go down paths they shouldn't go. They could have handled people differently, said something differently, done something differently, but that's that's the human life. We can't go back and change our mistakes. We just try to learn from them and move on, and I think that's what makes these characters just so complex and so real. So that is it for today. Uh, Thank you for bearing with me with my raggedy reading of Prisoner of Azkaban on the fly. As I said last week, I just straight read it uh, with no editing the way that I would read it in front of my English classes. And that concludes episode 10. So gather up those cauldrons and put away your quills because class is dismissed.